This is our number three of the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. We get together each and every Sunday for three hours. We talk about the news of the week and sometimes the events of our often bizarre lives. We do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. And this is a special edition. Let's have that music, by the way. A special edition of the John and Leah show. You want to do the voiceover, Leah? I can't remember what it is. <laughs> America on the brink of, of Trump's Trump sanity. <laughs> Thank you. Boy, we butchered that every single time we tried it, but that's okay. It was still fun trying. That's, that's what we get for having no pre-production. All right. Um, look, we still have a lot to get to in hour number three, but uh, we, we're trying to laugh because, you know, the alternative is to cry because the bottom line here is, folks, um, that something dramatic has to happen for Donald Trump not to be the nominee of the Republican Party. And if that's the case, uh, in my estimation, we're talking about about a 90% chance, barring you know, some catastrophe, economic collapse, well-timed terrorist attack, indictment. <laughs> Something like that. Well, even that, that, would, that wouldn't do it. Are you kidding me? It really wouldn't. No. How far we've come. No. no are, you, are you kidding? The Dean scream doesn't even cut it anymore in the Trump world. <laughs> um, that's every day. But anyway, the point is, barring economic collapse, well-timed terrorist attack, or an indictment of Hillary Clinton, which I don't see happening, um, I, I give uh, Hillary about a 90% chance of beating Donald Trump with the chance, with a very good chance of it being a uh, catastrophic landslide. Uh, I don't know. You know, it would be hard to tell. No one knows what the, the result would be for sure. But there would be the chance of a catastrophic landslide that would um, lose the Senate because, you know, it would, there are so many elements of this that people aren't thinking through. Like, like, for instance, if Trump is the nominee, what the hell do the GOP senators running for reelection do? Yeah. Do they campaign with them or not? Not, so you're going to have a bizarro world where your presidential camp, ca- candidate isn't going to be able to campaign with anybody who's running for election in any of the states. I, I mean, it's it's there are so many things that, well, that are going to happen or will not happen, which would normally occur, that people are not taking into consideration if Trump's really going to be the nominee. Okay, uh, well, what if he's not the nominee? And Marco Rubio takes your advice and becomes the nominee. Yeah. What does Trump do? Well, that's see, that's why I'm so pessimistic because and and the, the scenario I laid out uh, earlier in the show, which people can catch on our podcast tomorrow, which by the way are now on iTunes. So I hope that that gives people more opportunity to listen to the to the podcast. Uh, you can catch them at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But I, I laid out the whole scenario where. Um, where Rubio can win the nomination somewhat definitively. And if he wins it definitively, I don't know that Trump would have the, the high ground to take his toys and go home and completely undercut uh, Rubio's chances. Now, look, I would not expect Trump to campaign for Rubio or to be helpful for Rubio. I'm I worried would... going third party. No, it's too late for that. Oh, you think? Logistically, it can't, it can't work. There's there's no we don't have to worry about that. I I think I think the only thing we have to worry about with Trump is does he go um, full trader and and like openly campaign for Hillary, Uh, Mm. which wouldn't nothing would shock me with Trump. 
I mean, look, he's given money to Hillary. Hillary came to his third wedding. Uh, he said nice things about her in the past. You know, he talked to Bill Clinton right before he decided to run. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's some evidence. We might have something to worry about there. But, okay, best case scenario. I'm talking I'm, – I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible. Best case scenario, if, if Rubio wins it outright, I don't know that Trump causes a massive problem. He can cause a headache for sure. I don't know that he causes a massive problem. The massive problem is if it goes to the convention. And and if Trump doesn't be then you're in a no win situation. If Trump's the nominee, you're screwed. If he's not the nominee, you're screwed. Uh, your, your party is fractured. There's no way uh, there's nobody with enough stature to to solve that situation, to to emerge as a compromised candidate. There's just no good scenario. And Hillary is just going to sit there laughing, cackling. You know, I mean, that, that's oh, what's, yeah, barking. That, that's what's going to happen. I mean, well, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's what's going to and, – and look, I think one of the things that has, has uh, allowed the Trump phenomenon to grow is this misperception that Hillary is so much weaker than she really is. She is a horrible candidate, folks. It's the worst. Horrible. But she has corrupt criminal. So she needs to be in prison. What difference at this point does it make? But but she has so many advantages that our side is not taking it into consideration. I think they're evaluating her as a candidate if she was a Republican. But she's not. She's a Democrat trying to be the first female president. She's got enormous advantages that I, it's amazing to me how many people are are forgetting or not taking them into consideration and i think that has allowed this false sense of security to say hey what the hell let's let it ride with trumpster it's so much fun you know and then of course the idea that bernie sanders could be the nominee i think even further helped the trump phenomenon because hell anybody could beat bernie sanders right i, I mean even i believe that trump would beat sanders i do I mean, I, I believe that Trump would beat Sanders. I don't. I mean, it would be in, it would be so crazy, such a crazy race. It would be hard to to necessarily predict right now. But I, you know, gun to my head, Trump or Sanders, Trump would win. Um, but you, I wouldn't bet my daughter on it. Um, you know, anything like that. But I would feel fairly confident that Trump would win. Um, but but you know, it's now clear to me. Uh, that it's going to be Hillary, and the reason is because of the Nevada results, and that has profound implications on a lot of different elements of this whole deal. So we'll talk about that when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host, Leah Brandon. Our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. All right, uh, let's turn to the Democratic side officially uh, of the uh, presidential race, because uh, yesterday may have been the most significant day yet in that race, and yet it got very little publicity because, let's face it, Trump dominates everything, and the South right. Carolina primary was such a big deal. But, Leah... Give us a, a wrap-up of what happened in the Nevada caucus on the Democratic side. And this is nice and short and sweet. Hillary Clinton won the Democratic caucus in Nevada, and then she told the crowd at Caesars Palace, what's next? I am on my way to Texas 
I'm on my way to Texas. Bill is on his way to Colorado. The fight goes on. The future that we want is within our grasp. Now, she beat Bernie 52 to 47 percent in Nevada, but that only comes out to about 800 votes. So he's looking towards Philadelphia. I believe that when Democrats assemble in Philadelphia in July at that convention, we are going to see the results of one of the great political upsets in the history of the United States. (laughs) So now the Democrats come to South Carolina and the Republicans go to Nevada. All right. um, So Bernie is done, whether he realizes it or not. Uh, It's over, barring, again, an indictment of Hillary or Beyonce coming out for Bernie. I mean, I mean that seriously. Those are about the only two things I can think of. Some Beyonce or someone of that stature within the black community, I don't know, maybe Oprah and Beyonce together um, might change the race. But barring something like that, Hillary's going to win. And here's how I know. Um, I've mentioned this um, analogy or metaphor before, Lee. I don't know if you remember it or not. It was several months ago. Uh, But I think it's very appropriate for the Democratic race a little bit for the Republican race, but mostly for the Democratic race for reasons that will become obvious in a moment. Remember the movie Valkyrie? The, I do. The Tom Cruise movie. It was about Operation Valkyrie, which was a, a plot to get Hitler. And in, in this particular case, obviously Hillary is Hitler. I think we can <laughs> I think we can see that pretty clearly. And I can see that headline. Right, and in the movie, Tom Cruise's character is supposed to carry out an assassination of Hitler. And that is going to provoke a coup d'etat based upon the notion that the populace of Germany wants Hitler overthrown. And if they can just get the establishment to flip, everything will take care of itself and Germany can be saved. That's the premise. And Cruz's character thinks that he has assassinated Hitler, but he didn't. The bomb didn't go off properly. But... During the time period of confusion, Operation Valkyrie goes into effect, and they almost pulled it off. In fact, if they hadn't been so slow, if they had, if they had enough confidence that what they were doing, they probably would have pulled it off anyway. But they didn't. But as it, as they were, it looked like they were going to pull it off, like New Hampshire primary for Bernie, <laughs> when it looked like they were going to pull it off, the crowds all swarmed towards them. Everyone jumped on the bandwagon. We're going to overtake Hitler. The moment they lost confidence, the moment that it looked like Hitler wasn't going to get ousted, everyone ran like rats. And Cruz ended up, Cruz's character ended up being killed. Uh, assassinated, whatever you want to call it, executed. Uh, And everybody around him ended up getting executed. Well, that's what's going to happen to Bernie Sanders. The Sanders, it's not going to happen immediately. It's going to take a while. I mean, it just all assumes that Hillary wins South Carolina, as she should, uh, and that the the black vote remains mostly monolithic. But all of a sudden, all those things that were going in Sanders' favor, and he needs everything to go in his favor. He needs everything. Uh, all those things that were going in his favor are going to stop, um, oh. and it's going to and it's go to it's going to go to a trickle. He's not going to be able to get media coverage as much uh, once because he's, he's going to go on a losing streak. And once 
his people, once those young people, those, I mean, look, these are lazy, spoiled oh, yeah. socialists. Once, yep. once his people realize they ain't going to win, you think they're going to get their ass up in the morning to make phone calls and plant signs? <laughs> no are, way. Are you kidding? You live by the socialist. You die by the socialist. <laughs> You're going down, Bernie. Uh, and Hillary is going to be the nominee. Darn it. See, because your plan was give money to the Bernie Sanders campaign. Oh, it was a brilliant the, – the mo- a week ago, the most efficient way for the Republicans to win this election was to pay off black – Prominent black people to endorse Bernie Sanders. I mean, Kanye West, I hear, needs money. I mean, he's... he's, he's sure, he's, couldn't we come up... How much does Jeb have left over? Yeah, you could have taken Jeb's PAC money, spread it along, you know, rappers and and uh, movie stars and, and pseudo-political figures in the black community, all paid them off to endorse uh, Bernie. And I'm being mostly serious here. Singers. Yeah, get like Britney Spears, Katy Perry. They both were paid 250 or something to go stand by yeah. Clinton. Yeah. Flip them. Well, Flip them. I mean, entertainers would be good, but blacks would be They're better. Easy. Blacks would be better because it's the black vote is why, which is so ironic. It's so ironic that the black vote is what's going to save Hillary here. Because if you look at the demographics of her vote against Sanders, it is almost, not 100%, it's almost 100, it is very, I'm contradicting myself. 98.9. It it is is nearly 100% flipped from what happened in 2008 with Barack Obama. Once Obama got his his footing, he won all the black vote, she won all the white vote, um, and now it's almost flipped. Sanders is winning the white vote. She's winning the black vote. Interestingly, the entrance polls indicated that Hillary had lost the Latino vote, which indicated to everybody that Sanders was going to win. In fact, Sanders, quote-unquote, won the entrance poll. Now, was the entrance poll inaccurate, which is often the case, or... Was it inaccurate? And also, was there some funny business going on inside the caucus? Because I hello, think, I think hello, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> what difference at this point does it make? I mean, I think that that's what happened. I mean, think about this, folks. <laughs> I you're, saw them coming in. I saw the video. Yeah, you're a Latino, a Latina person, Latino person in in Las Vegas or whatever. You don't really care who you're voting for. You, you on the entrance poll. Oh, I like that Bernie guy. You come in and some Hillary person gives you the stiff arm and you change your vote. That's oh, yeah. what happens in a caucus. You lose your kneecaps. That's, well, I don't know how far it went, but I'm just saying there was some persuasion. There was, there was. There was there was some something that made them change their minds. I, I don't think that the entrance polls were off that much. Um, so, but the bottom line is Hillary is going to win the nomination, and she is not a good candidate. She's a terrible candidate, but she is formidable. She is far too formidable to be putting up our worst candidate against her, which is what Donald Trump would be, which is exactly what it appears we're going to do. It's happening. Amazing. Utterly Amazing. All right. Uh, when we come back, a couple more quick thoughts on this. I also want to talk about uh, the uh, legacy of Antonin Scalia on the John and Leah show.
This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. And Leah, as appropriate as it would be to discuss the legacy of Antonin Scalia with uh, this particular music playing, uh, Holding Out for a Hero, I'm going to hold off until the uh, last segment of the show uh, to do that because I wanted to um, say a few words about who was to blame for this clusterfuck that has become the GOP nominating race and will continue to be uh, almost for sure into the future, no matter how it all turns out. There's a lot of blame to go around. And as you know, Leah, um, one of my many passions, but one of my greatest passions is educating people to the fraudulent nature of the conservative news media, that the conservative news media is a business. It is not a cause. And I think what we have seen with the Trump phenomenon is that all of this that has been building for not just a couple of years, but for maybe a couple of decades, has now come to fruition the, the, in, in its ultimate end, that the ultimate commercial candidate has overwhelmed all of the cause candidates. And that's not by coincidence. It's not a conspiracy. Let me make that clear. These people are not smart enough to pull off a conspiracy. It is, it is done out of financial self-interest. Um, and I'm not talking about the entire conservative media, but I'm talking about a large part of talk radio. I'm talking about the Drudge Report, Breitbart.com, portions, although not of all of Fox News Channel. Ironically, and I have disdain for Fox News Channel, much to my own uh, negative self-interest, but Fox News Channel has actually been pretty darn fair in this whole thing. I mean, they've been in some ways very good to Trump, probably more than he deserved, but not as much as other so-called conservative outlets have been, uh, which have been completely in a tank for him. So that's that the entire conservative media industrial complex, which views their job as a business while pretending to be a cause, that is the culprit number one. But there are a couple of individuals that I think need to be singled out right now because of the nature of the news cycle. And as much as I love the Bush family, uh, and I even like Jeb Bush as a person who seems like a nice guy. Uh, Jeb Bush, I'm sorry. I, I get that he has sympathy from people because he was such a pitiful character. And, and he pulled pitiful, out. Pathetic. And he pulls out last night. And, and you know, Mitt Romney tweeted uh, that he put him, his, his country's interest ahead of his own. But by get, no, you didn't. No, 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 you did not. No, no. If you, Jeb Bush, had really cared about your country's interest, your party's interest, and clearly, obviously, he believes that it is not in the interest of the country or the party for Donald Trump to be the nominee. If you really believe that, you get your ass out after Iowa. All right? You know, I get you want to at least see some votes on the table. I get it. You spent all that money. You want to at least make sure that, you know, it's real. It's not just all polls because polls can be wrong. But you had your shot at Iowa. You campaigned there. You spent a lot of money there. You obviously have plenty of name recognition. And you did squat. At that point, you should have gotten the hell out. But look how much he spent in New Hampshire. Well, And he still stayed in. All right. and, And let's be clear. If Jeb Bush had done the right thing and gotten out after Iowa, how would that have impacted things? It would have had a massive influence on every. I think it changes everything because here's what occurs. Jeb's, most of Jeb's 10 to 12 percent, whatever it was in New Hampshire, goes to Rubio. Rubio 
automatically in that week between Iowa and New Hampshire, he becomes the man, uh, even more than he was after that surprising third-place finish. Everybody starts to coalesce. Romney, I, I would bet you, if Jeb gets out after Iowa, Romney endorses Rubio before New Hampshire. And that has a huge impact because Romney is obviously former governor of Massachusetts right next door. So if you have Bush getting out and Romney endorsing Rubio, and guess what else happens? Christie doesn't have the balls to go, to go after, after him, him because now he's the king. All right, because now Christie knows the, the message is sent. Hands off Rubio. He's the guy. And so that whole debate fiasco doesn't happen. And even, by the way, if it does, it's mitigated. So instead of Rubio finishing fifth, he still finishes second. And he's, and he's still in a much better position going into South Carolina. Rubio made a miraculous comeback in yeah. South Carolina. He was dead after New Hampshire, but he, he he handled that situation well, and he got a great endorsement from Nikki Haley, uh, and you know clearly they closed the gap towards the end. But he wouldn't have had to do that if Jeb Bush had done the right thing at the right time. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, I do. I mean, yeah. it it changes the whole world, and so don't give me this crap that Jeb Bush gets credit for doing the right thing. No, he did not do the right thing. He should have gotten, I mean, I'm even giving, I'm giving him too much slack getting out before Iowa. Look what Scott Walker did. I know. Scott Walker. Scott Walker, it called for everyone to get out. And none of this would have happened. You're right. No, if everyone had listened to Scott Walker, I mean, if there's one person to put the country ahead of, of themselves, it was Scott Walker. Yes. I mean, Scott Walker was the front runner until Trump got in and Drudge jumped on the Trump bandwagon. Um, and I truly believe if Trump didn't get in, I truly believe Scott Walker would be battling with Marco Rubio for the nomination. I really, maybe with Cruz too, um, you know, which would be a much more interesting and much more, much more beneficial three-way race than the one we currently have. Um, but, but here's the thing. So Walker realized, you know what? Um, my boat got sunk by the Trump hurricane. I'm going to admit it. Uh, I'm going to get the hell out. Um, and I'm going to urge others to do the same. And almost no one did. At least no one of consequence. And I think he was specific. I believe he was specifically talking to Jeb. That's Jeb what I Bush. think. I, I think he meant Jeb Bush when he said that. And Jeb didn't listen. So, you know, I'm sorry. I, I love the Bush family. I have a lot of affection for George W., a lot of affection for Bush 41. But I'm not giving Jeb any credit at all for getting out when he did. Because I think when all is said and done, him not getting out of Iowa... Now, there are going to be 100 data points that could have theoretically changed this thing, but that's the first one that's going to come to my mind, that if he had done the right thing at the right time, all of this is different. Um, and, you know, and Chris Christie's going to have some blood on his hands, too, because what did Chris Christie accomplish? What did Chris uh, he lost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he did nothing. He, I mean, he, he, he didn't move at all in the polls, and he was out, by the way, exactly as I predicted, right after New Hampshire. And I, I realize, you know, most talk show hosts aren't afraid to take credit where credit is due. But go to freespeechbroadcasting.com or johnziggler.com right now and check out the article I wrote called Dear Nate Silver. Have you read this article, by the way? No, this is one I have not read. Right, when, when you, I wrote this in November of last year. You should read it now, Leah. 
I, I think it'll knock your socks off. In November, <laughs> in November of last year, I wrote, Dear Nate Silver, he's the alleged prediction guru expert. He's actually a liberal hack um, who is a fraud, in my opinion. And, and I was confronting him on his assertion that Trump was a fraud and, a, and he was going to fade. And I predicted exactly how this thing was going to go down almost to a T to where we are right now. Almost exactly. I mean, there's almost nothing in there that didn't happen exactly as I said. So uh, it's called, you know, or you can just Google. Just If you Google Dear Nate Silver, uh, the article will <laughs> come up. There it is. There it will come up. Um, and I guarantee, I, if you, in all seriousness, if you, Leah, or you or any of the listeners find any article written from 2015 that more accurately reflects a prediction of what would transpire in the GOP primary, send it to me, because I want to see it. Because I don't think anybody else put one out there in 2015 that was as close to accurate as this one was. And, you know, as much as the Republican base has as underestimated Hillary Clinton, which is why they're willing to go for Donald Trump, I believe the Republican establishment has underestimated Donald Trump. And because of that, their lack of urgency has caused people to put their egos over the well-being of the country and the party by not getting the hell out. And John Kasich and Ted Cruz eventually are going to have to face that very same question. And I'm not optimistic as to how they're necessarily going to handle it, especially Ted Cruz, since he's on a religious crusade. Oh, by the way, yes. speaking of religious crusades, <laughs> I know I saw your, your buddy Glenn Beck is on a, <laughs> on, a, on a fast for Ted Cruz. Yes, he's doing a fast for him. Right now, he's wow. urging other people to fast. Well, you know that's interesting. It's tomorrow, actually, tomorrow Monday. Oh, it's just tomorrow. Yes, it's tomorrow. And I when, don't know if it's I don't know if it's just a one day fast or if tomorrow the fast begins. So we're well, supposed wait, to gorge what, what, this weekend. What kind of a fast is one day? How, well, how, how is that a fast? For, so for one day, he's not going to eat. Well, yeah, I mean, but and by the way, how's that going to help Ted Cruz? Uh, I don't know. This is just this is Beck's way of, you know, Glenn Beck says he's got to do every single thing that he can to help Ted Cruz. He honestly thinks that without Ted Cruz, uh, the country's gone. Okay. Uh, Interestingly, you know, in support of Marco Rubio, I skipped lunch today. (laughs) Does that count as a fast? Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm getting a little (laughs) I'm getting a little dizzy because of the lack of. Wait, Leah. (laughs) I'm losing my sight. Oh, stop it. I've lost my sight, Leah. Leah, I can't see. Oh, my God. Leah, I can't see. I've lost my sight. Oh, help me, Marco Rubio. Help me. I can't see. I can't can't help that his body is just abandoning him. Wait, it's back. Oh, my God. It must have been Rubio. Marco Rubio saved my sight. Oh, oh my God. goodness. Wow. <laughs> I can see again. Yeah. Oh. Well, Whoa. the articles wow. that are coming out, especially oh. Breitbart, you know, Breitbart's trying to take down Marco Rubio. Breitbart is all over Ted Cruz, too. And, I mean, they destroy Glenn Beck on a daily basis. For those, who, I mean, by the way, for those who don't know, um, many people probably don't know, Glenn Beck once claimed that he was losing his sight. No, uh, Glenn Beck's sight is yeah, horrific. Yeah, whatever. 
I don't trust anything Glenn Beck says. He is a, I, he's no, a fraud no, listen. of epic, epic, This epic guy's body is epic going to for, fail because he was a, Because he was an alcoholic ag, uh, atheist when he was a DJ who yes. was not a conservative in Louisville and then realized he could scan the world as a conservative talk show host because conservative no. talk shows weren't entertaining. People in Louisville know this, Leah. He's a fraud of epic proportions. Oh, God. All right. We'll wrap the show up when we come back. A couple words on Antonin Scalia on the John and Leah show. This is the final segment of this edition of the John and Leah show. This program, as well as every John and Leah program, can be heard via podcast. This one starting Monday morning. Now available on iTunes, which we're very excited about. If you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com, you can check out our SoundCloud podcast as well as our iTunes podcast. Make sure you subscribe. And if you get a chance, write a review of the program. We really appreciate that. Uh, for both iTunes and for SoundCloud, but especially for iTunes. I believe it's more prominent there. So go to freespeechbroadcasting.com and take advantage of that when you can. I, I wanted to talk a couple minutes before we leave about uh, the fact that we buried Antonin Scalia yesterday, which I think in historical perspective, Lee, it might be appropriate considering it was also the same day that Donald P- Trump won the South Carolina primary. I think when right. when, when history <laughs> is written... The country is dead. Yesterday period. yesterday is a pretty profound and uh, symbolic uh, day where you bury <clears throat> Antonin Scalia in the morning and at night uh, Donald Trump takes control of the GOP presidential nominating process and likely is going to go end up being the nominee and is likely going to end up losing to Hillary Clinton, who, um, if Barack Obama hasn't already chosen Scalia's replacement, will then have the opportunity to do so. More on that in a second. Uh, But what really got me upset this week was, as you know, Leah, I'm a Georgetown graduate, Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Yes. And Antonin Scalia was also a Georgetown graduate. Yes. Uh, many years before me, but uh, and, and much better student, by the way, <laughs> much, much, much better student. But we both had the same degree. I'm sure he has had a lot more honors on it, but same degree uh, from Georgetown University. And so Georgetown University, of course, you know, distinguished uh, uh, alumnus dies, uh, Supreme Court justice, legendary figure. They put out a statement saying the entire Georgetown community mourns the passing of Antonin Scalia. Yes. And this caused enormous controversy within Georgetown law. So much so that the Washington Post actually had a headline, Georgetown law professors argue over how and whether to mourn Scalia. I mean, are you serious? Law professors, Georgetown, he went to your school. He's a Supreme Court justice. He was... He was confirmed by unanimous vote. His every liberal justice on the court praises him as a giant in the history of legal scholarship. And you can't even go along with, yeah, we mourn the passing of Antonin Scalia. Right, because he's been painted as all of these things that he's not. And people have accredited words to him that he never spoke uh, that were his own. By the way, it's disgusting. By the way, you know who did that? 
one of the people who did that, and it happened recently, we talked about it on the air, where he got, he was quoting others, and it made it, and the press made it, made it sound like uh, he was somehow saying things that were racist uh, on an affirmative action case, which was, it was clear cut, not his words. One of those that jumped on that bandwagon was Donald Trump. Believe I remember. Me. Yeah. Um, of course, Trump, I'm sure, had no idea what the hell he was talking about. Uh, and the media completely misreported that story, including the Supreme Court reporters who should know better, but they don't care. I know. Because, I know. because it's bashing a conservative that fits their agenda. And no it's one's, agenda. No one's going to uh, criticize them for that at all. Um, and so that really it was so depressing to me. I mean, seriously, I mean, when when. When Al Sharpton dies, you're not going to be able to contest uh, an entire community mourns Al Sharpton. But Antonin Scalia, please. Uh, it's just very sad on every possible level. Now, as far as his replacement, I predicted last week the Republicans will cave. We saw a few signs this week that that's going to happen. Uh, there were small signs, not huge. Um, but I believe that the impending nomination of Donald Trump assures that there are only two choices here are virtually assured. There are only two choices here. Either Republicans cave for a bad Obama nominee or Hillary gets to choose a worse nominee. It's your choice, folks. Yeah. Um, that, and, and by the way, Trump being the nominee removes any leverage the GOP Senate had because Obama knows that Trump ain't winning. So what's the... What is the leverage the GOP Senate has? Oh, we're going to wait this out. We're going to wait this. No, you're not, because Hillary's going to be president, bozo, right. and you're probably not even going to have a Republican Senate anymore. So you need yep. to do a deal now. Obama knows this, and McConnell knows it. And so a cave is inevitable. And, and we talked last week about the humiliation scenario, which you, I think, uh, supported that that was what Obama was going to do. I've thought about it. I think you're right. I think of he's going to go the humiliation uh, scenario. And the humiliation scenario is this. Give the Republicans the best nominee possible first, knowing they have to reject it to show that they're fighting, and then give them a worse nominee and a worse nominee and a worse yes. nominee as we get closer to the election and the pressure mounts and Trump is losing to Hillary and the GOP senators running for re-election are crying uncle because their poll numbers suck and we're going to get screwed even worse than we would have. And Obama's going to have a big Cheshire cat grin. And Scalia's legacy will be completely over, at least from the standpoint of the current court. Um, you know, it, it sucks, folks. But when you don't have the numbers to win a fight, you got to take the best deal you got. And right now, even, I mean, I, I'm as much of a fighter as anybody. And I think this is as important an issue as anybody. But if, if Obama actually nominates a, a, a legitimate, credible, moderate, they better take it. There's no way he's going to do that. I mean, his his best case scenario is going to be like, you know, uh, Loretta Lynch. <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. that'll be his best case scenario. Well, although if if they were going to do it, I wish they would just put in Frank Eastwood or whoever that guy was that Scalia wanted. I mean, look, he wants gun control. Scalia picked this guy. So uh, Obama would get what he wants. Uh, and then we would get what we want because, you know, well, the second, because we'll also keep our guns, no problem. Well, I would, I would, 
I would definitely, regardless of what happens, I would go buy a gun if you're in the market. Um, right now. Yeah, for, for a number of reasons. Uh, but don't is, tell your doctor. Yeah, but this is not going to turn. Here's the bottom line, folks. I don't know how it's going to turn out with Scalia's replacement. It's not going to turn out well. It is not going to turn. There is no scenario I see where it turns out well under the current circumstances. Something dramatic would have to change for that to occur. And on that happy note, that'll do it for this edition <laughs> of the John and Leah Show. Make sure you check out our podcast once again at www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. Now on iTunes. And make sure you subscribe and write a review if you can. Leah, as always, great talking to you. You too. I'll talk to you Although next I'm depressed now. Well, try to have a good week. But we'll still be around next week, I promise. At least I think so. Until next week, <laughs> have a good one, everybody. I'm John Ziegler.